Welcome to Backstage at the Enharmonic. I'm your host, Sean J. Kennedy. Today's guest is tenor saxophone player Jerry Weldon. Although Jerry has worked with many jazz luminaries, he's probably most well-known for his nearly three-decade collaboration with Harry Connick Jr. In today's interview, we learn about Jerry's early musical influences while growing up in New York, his first tour with the Lionel Hampton Band, and eventually how he got associated with Harry Connick Jr. A few years ago, Jerry and I actually had the opportunity to play together, and we do reminisce in this interview about it and the um, interesting circumstances around that event. To say that Harry Connick and Jerry Weldon and all of the other guys in the band are heroes of mine is an understatement. In the late 80s, one of the most played records that I had in my collection were the Volume 1 and Volume 2 of The Tonight Show Band featuring Doc Severinsen. I'd always been a fan of the big bands, but to see Doc Severinsen and the Tonight Show Band play live every night recording new music was really exciting. And when it was clear that Johnny was going to leave the air in the early 90s, um, I was pretty upset. And lo and behold, perfect timing, Harry Connick Jr. hit the scene and I was able to invest in his music and listen to his recordings and see videos and Jerry Weldon has been with him ever since so again this is a real honor for me to chat with Jerry and um, I hope you enjoy this interview and learn something hey Jerry this is Sean Kennedy Sean how are you I'm good man thanks for taking some time and being on the podcast I uh, really look forward to uh, getting some information about your life and hopefully learning something new Right. So, my first question to all my guests is, what is your earliest recollection of music as a child? Um, probably Tony Bennett, Frank Sinatra. Mm-hmm. That's my, my, so my mother father used to like, they, they played records all the time. My father was a big jazz uh, enthusiast, and my mother loved uh, Sinatra. So, I'm, and, uh, I came up in the '60s and in New in New York, and there was a radio station called WNEW, um, and they played you know they played all the the hits of the day uh, like Ella Fitzgerald and Basie and Sarah Vaughan and Nancy Wilson and a lot of Sinatra, a lot of Tony Bennett, a lot of you know guys like uh, Brooke Benton and you know. Matt Monroe, a lot of singers that aren't around today, but uh, that's my earliest recollection of hearing music and being, and you know, and liking it. Oh, cool. So it was a lot of singers you mentioned. Um, yeah. What drew you to the saxophone? Did you play something before sax? Was it a school thing? Like, yeah, what brought I had, you to I the had, saxophone? I had, I had, I had, initially, I had guitar lessons when I was about nine or ten, when all the kids, you know, you know, when the Beatles were out, everybody wanted to play the guitar, and and I I fell into that for a for a for a brief <laughs> for a brief moment, you know, and uh, and um, but I I got I was I grew very you know it was a passing thing, but my mother made me since they bought me the guitar, she made me practice 
and take lessons. <laughs> and then, then I heard West Montgomery, and 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 I said, I said, well, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna be, I'm never gonna be able to do that, you know. <laughs> so that kind of that kind of fizzled out a little bit, and then um, I got to be a, I got into high school. I was a teenager, and. I sort of drifted back into my my father's old uh, jazz records, and I started pulling out LPs and playing them, and it brought back some brought back memories. But the music just sounded so good to me, and especially those uh, those Brazilian records he had, uh, Jobim and and Stan mm-hmm. Getz, and that that sound, the sound of Getz's tenor, really got me. And from there, I went to Bird, and then I went to you know a, a lot of the I like I like Paul Desmond. I liked a lot, and but the tenor, I like the tenor, I like the sound that gets the sound he had, and that 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 initially drew me to the saxophone, and I started taking. I rented a saxophone from the local music store, and started taking lessons, and uh, and then and then really 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 getting from that from there on in, I I I was. Uh, I was really serious about it. So just to make sure my timeline's correct, so you really didn't have any formal music training until high school? Correct. Okay. Correct. Correct. And did you ever, um, I've talked to a lot of sax players. I know a lot of woodwind guys. So you didn't start on clarinet. You actually started on tenor. No, I started on, I I, I started on the saxophone, which is, uh, yeah, which is unusual for the day because they they always, right. That when you showed an interest in playing the saxophone, they uh, they would immediately give you a clarinet, mm-hmm. which, be, which made the which would make the transition easier to go to the saxophone. Which I found out later when I would try to go back and play the clarinet, I I, I had a difficult <laughs> I had a difficult time with it. Sure. <laughs> now, when you started studying saxophone as a teenager, did you join any of the school ensembles? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay. I was in the. I was in the, the the marching band, and I was in the uh, I was in the uh, orchestra, and the and the you know all the bands of the school. My my high school, we did not have a jazz band, hmm. but I played. But I played in I played in all the surrounding. There was I, I grew up in Long Queens and in Long Island, and um, and I played in a lot of the the, the high school bands in the surrounding areas. I played in any kind of band I could get into. Mm, okay, and uh, and that served me well in those in those years, definitely. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. And did you also yep. play in um? Did you also play in uh, bands outside of school, like rock bands and stuff? Or were oh, you yeah. mainly just? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh sure. No, I played in. I so so by this time I would be as a teenager. We're talking about the early to mid seventies. Mm-hmm. And at and at that time, you know, the hot bands were like Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and Chicago, mm-hmm. and Tower of Power, and you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire. They all had the horn, you know, the bands with the horn sections in them. So I played in a lot of those type of bands as well. Nice, you know, yeah, yeah. Now and, I... and, and playing and playing jazz too. I mean, always, always, you know, I was always a, uh, a straight ahead. I was always a a bebopper at at heart. Now, if I've done my research correctly, it looks like you started playing with Lionel Hampton about 1980. 80, yes, 82, as a matter of fact. 81, the end of 81. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yep. Okay. 
So how did that, tell the listeners uh, how that happened. Uh, you know, a high school kid playing saxophone in all these bands around New York, and all of a sudden you're playing with an icon of uh, jazz. Well, I got, I, got, uh, I got out of high school, and uh, I, knew I, was, I knew I wanted to pursue music, you know, as, a, as, as my livelihood. And I was, you know, I was playing gigs around, you know, playing weddings and, you know, doing my thing. I went to college, a local college, for a, for a little while, and I dropped out. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I was studying with a, a guy by the name of uh, Paul Jeffrey, who was a great tennis saxophonist. Um, he, he worked with Monk. In fact, he was Monk's uh, last tenor, tenor player. He, 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 mm. he took Charlie Rouse's place. He worked with Monk. He worked with Mingus. He worked with Dizzy. He was, you know, he, he was a real, you know, a real, he was the real deal. And he used to teach lessons at a studio in New York called Charles Coleman Studios. And I'd go up there and read He'd have me transcribe solos and things. And I, I was, wasn't was sure what I was going to do. And Paul got the teaching job at Rutgers uh, as, a, as, you know, teaching saxophone and leading the ensemble. He says, you know, why don't you come down with me to Rutgers and I could probably get you some money and, you know, some scholarship. And, you know, you, you come down there and study, which was the best move I ever made because I met a lot of great musicians down there he started the jazz program, which is still thriving today down at Rutgers University. But Paul was very tight with Lionel. Paul at that time was also working with Lionel Hampton's band. Mm. So he, so he kind of groomed myself. And most of the saxophone section that played at Rutgers from 70, I'm going to say from 79 to 81, we all wound up in Paul. Uh, we all wound up in Lionel Hampton's uh, saxophone section. Hmm. Um, starting first with Tom Chapin, who was a great alto saxophone player and flautist, and uh, he's no longer with us. But he was he was just a, a great, great, uh, great, great player, um, and a good friend. He got out first, and he went right into Hamp's band. Then, then I joined Hamp's band. Then David, then a guy by the name of Adam Brenner, who's another great tenor player, plays alto as well. He played alto. David Schumacher followed on baritone, and Doug Miller, who knew Paul from New England, followed on the tenor. So we were the, we made up Hamp's section, and we stayed in the band for about four or five years. Hmm. So uh, yeah, I stayed about till about eighty-seven. Then I left the band, and then I was back and forth after that. So okay, that's how that, that's how that went down. Yeah. Now I guess uh, touring the world was such a jazz luminary. Um, you were afforded some opportunities that most of us are not. Um, could you just maybe share one recollection or a few maybe of like incredible events you were part of or people you met because oh, you were yeah. with Lionel Hampton? Uh, oh well. well uh, this was during the eighties, especially the early early to the mid eighties. Um, Hamp was still in pretty good shape. He, he was in his seventies at this time, in his early seventies, but he played like a guy that was, you know, half the. I mean, his enthusiasm and his his swing and his spirit was so strong. He would play. Mm -hmm. He could play. He could play for hours. He could play for hours, and just play, just play these tremendous. Uh, solos of, of of genius and swing it's just amazing while entertaining the audience as well and while putting on a show and 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 still and and still putting forth this great great music at a very very high level so 
it was very inspiring to a guy of my age to be up on the bandstand every single night because Hamp would play from the first downbeat to the last note. Would He would play with such intensity and such energy that you had to... You had to get you had to get with it, or you were gonna get you were gonna get left behind. Mm. So that's that's stuck with me even to this day, you know. And I'm 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 I just turned sixty now, so it's it's amazing where the time goes. But I still bring that I still bring that intensity to to every job I play. So that was that's the first thing I got for him from him. Now. He was working all the time in the States, but he was very, very, very popular in Europe. He was, with, with uh, the passing of uh, Louis Armstrong about a decade earlier, Louis passed in early 70s, Ham was kind of Louis Armstrong, as, as, especially in France and in Germany and the European countries. He was a, he was a superstar. Mm. We, played all the, we played all the big jazz festivals. We played... We we played uh, we we did European we did three European tours a year, one in the spring, wow. one in the summer, and one in the winter. And he was a he was a he was a true he was a true icon over there. So we were working all the time. Hamp was working all the time, and um, we had so many great musicians come in and out of the band. To name a few, uh, Frankie Dunlap was still playing drums. When I joined the band, uh, Frankie was Monk's drummer for many years and is well, well known and a great, great big band drummer as well as a, a small group drummer. He played on all those great Maynard Ferguson records from the 50s, from Birdland and early 60s. And he was with Monk and Sonny Rollins. And, you know, he played with, played with everyone. Well, he was a drummer enhanced band. And we still had, he would still bring guys like Illinois Jacquette and Arnett Cobb would come out and do European tours with us or guests get shots, you know. So he had such a rich and deep history that uh that it was um I'll tell you another funny thing. Here's another here's another this is this is typical of when you work with Ham. Now we um we finished the job, we came back into town. We were doing a one night or somewhere. We were getting off the bus and Ham said, "Oh, we have a we have a uh we have a party to play." Later this afternoon, you know, a private a private party at some guy's apartment in Manhattan. Some some guy had a big apartment on Park Avenue, and he was had this cocktail party, and he had Lionel Hampton play for his party. So one of the guys in the band who was supposed to be on the job said, "Oh, Ham, you didn't tell me about that. I can't I can't make it today. It's it's, a, it's too short notice. I got I got something else." So the job fell. To, so he turned around. He said, "Okay, how about you? I had just been in the band a few you know a few months." He said, okay, how about you? You make it. I lived, I lived in the neighborhood. So I said, yeah, fine, I'll be there. Nothing else was said. I get to the job, and I walk in the guy's apartment, and there's Frankie Dunlap at, at the drums, and they're setting up. And there's, you know, uh, uh, I think it was our bassist at the time. I forget who it was, and Ham hadn't arrived yet. And at the piano is Teddy Wilson, right? <laughs> Teddy Wilson's. Teddy wow. Wilson's on the gig, right? He's there. Wow. So I so I got to so I got to work with I got to work with Teddy Wilson, you know? Wow. And those type, those those types of things would happen at a, you know in, in, in some form of regularity. You know what I mean? So uh okay. yeah. So this is, you know this is just one of the one of the stories and, and you know, I had forgotten about that 
1982, right? And I'd forgotten all about that. And then I just happened to see uh, Teddy, I picked up a CD. I said, damn, you know, I, I, played, I played with Teddy Wilson, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it's, uh, that's, just one, that's just one of the, uh, one of the, one of the deals, you know? Wow, that's incredible! But, what a uh, I got, to, uh, I got to play. I got to play. What I got to play with so many, so many good. I, I got to work. I played with Dizzy. I played with you know Stan Getz and Zoot and Freddie Hubbard and so many guys would you know would guest do a shot, do a two night tour, do a three night run with us. You know, as as an extra feature with with Ham. So this was uh, these are these are good. All good memories. Have you ever written a list down uh, to keep track of who you played with? You know, I you know I should, but I I haven't yeah. I haven't actually written down a list. But you you gave me an idea. I might have to I might have to do that. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see the uh, yeah. the heritage of uh, jazz luminaries that you've worked with over yeah. the years. Yeah, yeah, I work with yeah. I work with quite a few of them. Absolutely, sure, incredible. Yeah. So, so jumping ahead, of course. Um, I yep. first heard your great saxophone playing uh, with Harry Connick when I was coming up uh, on TV and recordings and all that. So could you okay. enlighten us on how you got hooked up with uh, Harry Connick Jr.? Well, well, here, well, it, it, it's, it, it, it leads us right back to Lionel Hampton once again. Uh, we did a we did a uh, we did a two week uh, run in New Orleans um, among the places we played. There was a uh, a joint called uh, it was a hotel called the Fairmont which is the old Roselle hotel. And they had a ballroom called the blue room and they would bring acts down there. And, um, you would, you would go down and you work for two weeks at this, at this, uh, spot, which was after making one nighters all the time, two weeks, especially in a town like new Orleans is, you know, you could, you know, you could do a lot of damage. Um, <laughs> and Harry was in high school and he was, you know, getting quite a reputation for himself already. You know, he was going to NOCA, which is a performing arts school. And um, Hamp, uh, uh, he came by and Hamp let him sit in with the band, you know. <laughs> Hamp, Hamp knew Harry's father, was, who was a DA of, of uh, New Orleans, Mr. Connick. And, um, and Harry came by one night and sat in with the band. And already he was, could play. He was already gigging in New Orleans. And um, I went by and sat in with him, and we kind of just met briefly. And he came to New York uh, a couple of years later. He moved to New York and started gigging and actually got the gig as Hans' piano player for a very, very short time. Wow. And um, he was already, uh, you know, he was already making connections, and he was getting ready to get signed with Columbia, and he, he was like, we got to, you know, we got to, we got to renew our little acquaintance. And, um, he said, man, I'd, I'd like us to play more to get, you know, if I ever get a band, I'd, you know, I'm, uh, would you, would you consider working with me? And of course I said, of course, you know? And, um, the next thing I knew he had left the band and he had gone out, started working on his own and him and Ben Wolf were playing a, a working a lot as a duo. And they were starting to work some of the clubs around New York. And, uh, he made a few, I saw him on television a few times. He was starting to make the talk show thing. And I was like, oh man, he's getting to be, he's getting to be, he's getting popular. And then Harry Met Sally came out and uh, the record was a huge hit. And then he got his own band together and true to, true to his word, 
the phone rang. I had already, I had left Ham's band already. I'd been out of the band. I was working with Jack McDuff a lot. You remember Jack McDuff, the organist? Mm-hmm. Brother Jack, Jack McDuff, and I was working a little bit with Jimmy McGriff. And I was working locally around New York and working with Matt Duff. And um, Harry called me, uh, true, true to his word. And he said, well, we got a tour going out in the summer. And I said, I'm in. And that was, uh, that was June of 1990. And we went out and we pretty much worked from June of 90 till the end of 1993, pretty much nonstop. Wow. States, we went through, we went through the States. We went to Japan. We went to Europe. Uh, you know, we, 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 we went to Australia. We, 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 we went out, we went everywhere. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of those yeah. albums are like, you know, they're my in my top ten. Uh what is it? The one We Are in Love, uh We Are Blue in Light, Love Red Light. Uh, um I'm, I'm, Blue Light went Blue Light, Red Light was my first date with him. Okay. Blue Light, Red Light, and then he did the Christmas record and then we did yeah. uh uh then we did I forget after that. We did quite a few though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unbelievable, yeah. man. Yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. And I don't know if you're uh, just real quick, the listeners might find this interesting. You and I had a chance to play together once on some real quick gig. And I was introduced to you real quick backstage. Like, this is Jerry, the sax player. I'm like, hey, how you doing? And we get on stage and we start playing. And I didn't put anything together yet. And right. uh, the guy who was in charge of the band goes, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Jerry Weldon. And I'm playing drums going, Jerry Weldon, Jerry Weldon. And in the middle of the tune, I'm like, oh, my God, that's Harry's center player. And I think I apologized to you after the tune. I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were the Jerry Weldon. No, that's okay, crazy. man. No. Yeah, it was man, cool. No, it was, that was... <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I'm like, yeah, that's the guy? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah it yeah. was very funny. Um, I remember so, that. You know, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, music takes us all to a really uh, unbelievable, I, interesting am- places. It's, it's, a, it's amazing, isn't it? It's you just, you, yeah. just ne- you just never, you just never know. You just never know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you yeah. have any uh, any interesting stories about playing in a special venue or a special circumstance with Harry, where maybe you were kind of like I did with myself when I kind of pinched myself that I was playing with you? Do you have anything specifically with Harry, like anything where you're like, I can't believe I'm doing this? You know, this guy from New York who plays saxophone. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I don't think you ever. I try not to lose that. Like I said, it comes from back from playing with Hamp. You don't. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I never lose the the enthusiasm, no matter how uh, you know rigorous the, the travels are and the and the uh, you know sometimes you you you're traveling a long distance to make one job. And uh, in fact, right now I'm on a I'm, I'm in Florida. I'm on a tour with uh, with Harry. We're about to start a, a, a three-week tour, and um, tonight is the opening night. I'm in Fort Myers, Florida, hmm. and we and we open tonight, and we got we we've, we've got rehearsal in a little while, and uh, yeah, it's just another tour. It's I, I can't believe it's been I've been with play I've been with Harry off and on for 27, 28 years now. He started in 1990. Here it is, 2018, and uh, I've been a part of most of his most of his uh musical uh, endeavors which is uh which is really quite quite unbelievable you know yeah <laughs> i'm i'm getting i'm trying to wrap my head around being 60 years of age that's that's a that's a that's a that's a, that's a sobering that's a sobering thought 
one day, one day you'll get there, Sean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's it's truly truly amazing, truly amazing. You, this wasn't one of my planned questions, but you've been, you've kind of like planted the seed in my head. You're, you're planning a tour right now. You're on tour. Um, yes. How much do you guys rehearse like pre-tour? We had a we had a rehearsal last night for about three mm-hmm. hours, and we will have another three-hour rehearsal today, and then. After that, we won't we'll, we won't probably won't rehearse as much unless he he re, unless he writes something new, which he which he does quite often. Um, hmm. Like he had a couple of new things we had to go over last night, and we'll probably re, re uh, revisit those today, and we'll throw in some of the old things and a couple of new things. So he's always you know he's always got something up his up his sleeve. So we'll have a, we'll have another pretty 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 uh, intense rehearsal this afternoon and then it'll probably ease up after that harry kind of like like likes to rehearse to a point and then likes to likes to let that spontaneous thing take you know take its run its course throughout the shows you know you'll mm-hmm. you'll never get you'll never get two of the same exact shows with 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 harry which is part of uh part of his uh genius you know mhm what's genius, one of your favorite is, uh, harry charts to perform we are in love Always loved that one, and he's written about three or four, maybe even more. He's always re- retweaking and re- redoing that arrangement. We've played about many, many different arrangements of that, but that's always a tune I've always, I always loved. From from, uh, and he he wrote that. He was young when he wrote that. That's a very, very hip, very, very hip tune. He's also got another tune. Uh, called Nowhere with Love, which I always liked a lot, and which we don't actually do as much, but I but I always enjoy playing. He's a great he's a great songwriter. He really is. He writes beautiful melodies, mm-hmm. and uh, he really is tremendous. He's a great 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 musician. People don't realize how great a musician he is. They see him on television, and you know he's a great actor as well, and and a personality. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a he's a He's a great, great, uh, thorough and tremendous musician on on a very, very, very high level. Writer and arranger mm-hmm. and a pianist. Uh, well, I don't have to tell you that. You know that. But oh, I yeah. think I think I think it gets I think it gets overlooked sometimes. It needs to be pointed out. Oh yeah, I a lot of times just even just casually I think I compare him a lot uh, to a Nat King Cole. A lot of people just think he was a singer. Yeah. But when you go down, that's a, that's, that's so a pretty good. That's a that's a that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good comparison. Because yeah. Nat Nat Cole was that great of a pianist, and and Harry is too. He really is. Right. Right. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. As well as a singer, um, of course. Oh sure, yep. of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've had a really unique career. You know, you essentially started your career with a pioneer of jazz. You know, from the beginning of the 20th Correct. century. And now Absolutely. we're at the beginning of the 21st century, and the business has changed so much. Um, a lot <laughs> yeah. of students and yeah, a lot of students me. and young people uh, listen to this podcast. And do you have any advice you'd give to kids uh, or young people that want to get into the music business now? Listen, listen first. Listen, listen. You, it's 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 an interesting you say music business because yeah, there is a business end to this, of course, but. First, you got to be proficient on whatever it is that you do, and if you're really, really serious about this music and be, being a musician, you got to know your 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 craft and you got to know your instrument. And that the first thing you got to do is listen, listen to everything you can listen to, listen to the guys, 
you know, like like all the guys that influenced me were uh, uh, initially were saxophone players. And what I would do is I would spend a lot of time uh, copying music, uh, learning solos, uh, copying, actually copying the styles of, of some of these guys, which is what, which was what all the great, which was what all the great legends that we love and we look up to did. You know, Sonny Rollins. Mm-hmm. Sonny Rollins. Sonny Rollins loved Bird and Coleman Hawkins. So Sonny Rollins started playing, trying to play exactly like Coleman Hawkins and and Bird, and that's what that's and 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 what you get from that is Sonny Rollins. Jackie McLean loved Dexter Gordon and Bird. What you get is Jackie McLean copied Charlie Parker. He said, I don't care if if people tell me I sound like Charlie Parker, I want I want to sound like I want to sound exactly like Charlie Parker. And when people told him that as a as a kid, as a teenager, he thought it was a he he loved it. Eventually, <laughs> he eventually he became Jackie McLean. Charlie Parker studied Lester Young, learned all of the Lester Young solo. So, I mean, the lin- this is where the lineage, this is where the lineage comes from. It's not, as a teenager and as a young, a young player and as a young musician, it's not a sin to copy some of these guys because you've got to come through somebody before you sound like yourself. That's where kids get mistaken and they don't want to copy these guys because they think they're going to be, they're going to have their own style. That's, that's it. That's that's a that's a really 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 uh, uh, false misconception because there's very there's a there's a, a percent of a percent of a percent of geniuses that Errol Garner is one guy that is a unique big player. Very few guys you can say sound just like themselves. Everybody came came up sounding like someone before them. So that's that's that, that's uh that's helped me throughout my uh you know comeuppance you know. I said, yeah, that's great advice. I wanted, when I was in when I was in high school, I wanted to sound like Stan Getz. I wanted to play like I wanted to be Stan. Getz. I wanted to look like Stan. I was that was my guy, <laughs> Stan Getz. Yeah. Then 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 in '76, Dexter Gordon. I was lucky because Dexter Gordon came back to came back to New York and made a and made a big. It was a very very big event. He signed with Columbia Records and he was making this big return. And I got to see and hear Dexter Gordon in person at the Village Vanguard when he made his return in 1976. And so, 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 so then, so then it was, De- so then Dexter was my man. I wanted to sound like De- Dexter. I wanted to, I, st- I learned all his solos and his sound, which is, which is what I still carry with me today. Because I was fortunate enough to hear these guys, I heard Stan Getz in person. I heard Dexter Gordon in person. I heard Illinois Jaquette and 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 James Moody and and Arnett um, Cobb and Stanley Turrentine. I heard all these guys. I heard them and per- I heard what they sounded like, and and it still stays with me. So, sound is another thing. Sound, sound, sound. From it starts with a sound. You've got to get a good sound on your instrument. You've got to get a good sound. So keep your ears open, listen, get a good sound on your instrument, and and pick and 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 go from there. Keep your ears open and and go from there, and play uh, uh, and play with as many different bands and as 
and, and keep yourself open to as many uh, musical situations as you can get into, especially at a young, you know, at a young developing, uh, coming up kind of part of your, part of your uh, development. So Perfect. these are yeah, little, little suggestions. Yep. Yeah, those are great. Three great things. Um, yeah, and I, I just see it working with a lot of kids. They don't want to go back and listen to the old masters because they want to sound like themselves, and you can't sound like yourself well, how, if yeah, you don't well, know well, how from you gonna, them. How are you going yeah. to do that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You learn the, yep. you learn, you got to learn the language. You got to learn, you have to learn vocabulary. You need to learn sentences. You need to learn how to spell. You need how to learn how to write. You need how to, you know what I mean? You need to, you need to know the language and the lineage and the history. Exactly. This is what this is what what it all comes from, you know. Roy Hargrove, yep. he's my he's a perfect example. He's a guy that, you know, he's he's he was like the generation behind me. He came to Winton. He's they, these guys came from somewhere. You know what I yep. mean? You know, they they this is this is this is how the music and and the music goes from there. You know? Exactly. So, um, so it's, it's it's not a secret. It's not a secret. This is how, and there's no uh, there's no shortcuts, unfortunately. We're in the exactly. we're in the we're in the age where people just want to be famous for being famous. So you can be famous for being famous now. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. You don't have to and do anything. You don't have you don't have to have a, you don't you don't have to have a lick of talent. So you know, I see. I notice kid. You know, young younger guys. They get start, They get caught up in this in the star thing too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They want to get their picture on. They want to be on TV. They want to get their picture in the magazine or something. So if that's, if that's your trip, then you, you're in the wrong, you're in, you're in it for the wrong reason. You know? So you probably don't have much free time, but is there anything you like to do outside of the world of music? Oh yeah. I'm a big, I'm a big, I'm a big uh, sports fan. I, I'm, I watched the, uh, I watched the Cavs last night. Uh, mm-hmm. blow it. <laughs> but uh, uh, a big, big uh, basketball, big baseball fan, football fan. You know, I so I, I get into, the, I get into, uh, you know, I love, I love going to ball games and, um, yeah, I like sports. I love, I love movies. I like the old movies too. Uh, I like, I like good movies, good films. You know, you know, I like, uh, I got a few, few, few very interests like that. You know. Nice. Yeah. So speaking of varied interests, um, would the audience, uh, could you tell me something you might be listening to now that the audience might be surprised that Jerry Weldon is actually listening to and liking <laughs> some type of music? Some type of music. Well, what, what do I got here? Well, I was listening. I, I was, well, I was, I don't know if it would surprise anybody. I was listening to this. I was listening to the Sinatra and uh, Duke Ellington record, which is always, which is one of my all-time favorites, Francis mm-hmm. A. and Edward K. I don't know. A lot. I, I, I'm surprised that people. I'm surprised that people are surprised that Sinatra and Ellington did an album. You know, they, everybody knows the the Basie, you know, the Sinatra Basie stuff, which sure. is you know, which is more more popular. You know, the records with Quincy and Neil Hefty and You Fly Me to the Moon and all those great. Uh, charts, you know, those great bassy things, but Sinatra and Duke Ellington made a beautiful beautiful record called Francis A. and Edward K., which gets, which I think gets overlooked because it's it's a beautiful beautiful record and, and, and I, never, I never get tired I never get tired of listening to it Great, hope people uh, check that out on your but, recommendation um, Yeah, 
I, I hope so. I hope so. But and I still like so, to go out to the clubs. I still go to the clubs and hear hear different bands, and I still love live music, and I go out and hear hear it as much as I can when I'm not when I'm not performing it myself. You know. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, besides hearing about you on this podcast, uh, if the listeners want to find out more about you, uh, where should they go and what should they look up? Okay, well, I'll tell you, uh, 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 I want to I let everyone know that I've got a brand new CD that just, that just came out on the, on the Cellar uh, Jazz label, Corey Weeds. I don't know if you know Corey. He does a great job. Uh, he's got a label called Cellar Jazz. Corey's a great saxophonist in his own right, and he's got a label, and uh, I was lucky enough to... Uh, do a do a recording for him. It's called uh, "Those Were the Days." Interestingly enough, Jerry Wells, yeah. "Those Were the Days" is the title of the record. All right, and uh, and it's available on iTunes. It's available on Amazon. It's uh, um, you can find it uh, on the website. Uh, you can go to my website, which is dot net, net. And you just put put my name in, and there's a calendar. Let's let let's everybody knows where I'll be. Where I'll be on this tour, and then when when I get back to New York, and please feel free to to to, to drop me a line, um, anyone, and uh, I'll uh, make sure I get back to you. I'd love I'd love to hear from you. Excellent. Well, thanks, Jerry. Thanks for taking the time. It was uh, really interesting, and I hope uh, people learn some things. Uh, John, it's my pleasure, and I, and, I, and, I, and I want to thank you again for, for uh, you know, for making this happen. It took a, it took a little while, but <laughs> good things come to those who wait, you know. Apparently, apparently, yeah, that's what they tell me. All right, well, have Sounds fun on great. this tour, and uh, I look forward you, to uh, playing with you again sometime, Jerry. I appreciate it, Sean. Thank you. All right, take care. Bye. To learn more about the musical adventures of Jerry Weldon, please visit his website, jerryweldon.net, and the other links that I have directly under this podcast. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Backstage at the Enharmonic. Thanks for listening. And you dream of the stars up above have the answer of whether we'll be Oh, oh, whether we won't be in love Well, we are Yes, we are Oh, we are